Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. Oh, God. That that sounds terrible. What what happened? I lost my voice. Yeah. Well, uh, this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be interesting for the people who tune in for your Adele impression. Thank you. People who are here for your your Mickey Mouse impression. Ha ha. <laughs> people who are here for your Yo Gotti impression. I am. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it's still pretty good. And it should be said that during the episode, Jeff's voice sounds totally fine. We pre-recorded this episode, so for the intro and the outro, that's when your voice isn't ideal. I sound like the kid in the movies who's like, Mom, Dad, are you getting divorced because of me? And now, guys, time for a huge announcement. Jeff, are you excited? I am. <laughs> Jeff, are you ready? I am. Are you Yogati? I am. You heard what we did down at Bonnaroo. You heard what we did at the Yolono tour. And you definitely heard about our sold out show at SOB's here in New York City. Well, it's time that we take our concert out there to the West Coast, November 2nd, 2017. It's The Real live in Los Angeles, performing all your favorite songs Dave Matthews bands, Waco, Sugar High, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Top 135, Dead or Alive. It's the most fun that you guys are going to have at a concert. Inspiration, laughs, storytelling. If you love It's The Real, you're going to love It's The Real live in Los Angeles. Get your tickets right now at itsthereal.com. We're going to be performing our music. We're going to be bringing out special guests. We're going to do for the VIPs a special Q&A meet and greet amazing hour beforehand. You know the track record we have with amazing shows, SOBs, Highline Ballroom, Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen out there in London. Let's make this another humongous night. Let's sell out this room. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Bring a whole bunch of people and have them leaving the concert saying, nah, for real, for real. Bootleg Theater. It's thereal.com. Tickets available right now. Make sure to subscribe to youtube.com slash it's thereal for all of our upcoming videos, including the Rockefeller podcast, which is done. It is done. It's in the hands of Jay-Z, so we're waiting to hear, you know, his okay. And also the Semtex interview, which we put out last week. We will now have video for that coming out very soon. I sound like Jada Kiss's laugh without the laugh. Today on the podcast, Jeff, you know that we have DJ Set Free, the guy behind the N1 mixtapes. Set Free is a guy who didn't have any formal training in marketing or advertising. He just knew what was dope. He trusted his gut and he knew what the culture wanted. And he created one of the great campaigns in advertising history, his work with And One. We talk about touring the world with Most Def, working with Nike, working with LeBron, Latrell Sprewell, Questlove, so much more in here. It's a great episode. We talk about these these four-foot Charlie Brown toys he did with Ron English. It's incredible. Shout out to Set Free. Shout out to the compound up there in the Bronx. Jeff, when do you want to get into this? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Whippin' Work, a.k.a. Kentucky Derby. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Drop Bombs from Far Away, a.k.a. Nuke Van Exel. Yo, what up? It's Set Free, a.k.a. The Reinvented Slave. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way she's done with this the real. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, bless, man. I just got the greatest news today, man. Um, I made a toy. I don't know if y'all know I made a toy. Okay. Actually, I'm going to uh, show y'all the toy. Yeah. yeah. Um, somebody's going to take it out of their bag right now. But um, me and Ron English made a toy. Okay. And I just got the news that he 
got the four foot toys in his house. Yo. Yeah, so it's, all, it's a black Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah, it's we've seen so we've seen in pictures on your Instagram. Okay. Black Charlie Brown, uh like I'm super excited, man. It's it's like a day that I'm like, wow, to you know, work with my one of my favorite artists. How and, does that even come to be? Um Okay, let's. I'm gonna make this story short and quick. I was DJing for Most Def in Berlin. Right. Okay. Just like a normal story. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Real quick. <laughs> um, and I met. We call him the Cobbler. His name is Chris Colling on a company called Made by Monsters. Mm -hmm. Been in the industry forever. He's the person that makes a lot of people toys from Cause, Cause in the early days, Ron English, Bounty Hunter. His family makes Star Wars, and I seen a Mickey Mouse with a gas mask on it. And I was like, Yo, that's my logo. I need that. So I was like a, a chick that wanted to get pregnant by an NBA player. I just wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> and he was like, look, I'm doing work. and Leave me alone. I'm busy. I'm setting up my art gallery. And I was like, all right, all right. You can act like that. Cool. So then I went on stage and I started DJing for most of And he was like, oh, shit, you are important. <laughs> and um, I stayed in touch with him. He said, if you seriously want to make a toy, come to Hong Kong. You went all the way to Hong Kong. Went to Hong Kong. What's that flight like, first of all? The first one was great because I was with Most Def. <laughs> yeah. And we did a show. So I got like the apartment in the front. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other three times was like, you know, an apartment in Spanish Harlem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was kind of crazy. But the, the end result is, you know, the all The end that matters, result right? is this little guy on the table right now. So congratulations on oh, that. Thank you so much. Thank Let's you. Let's get into it. Where are you from? I was born in the Bronx. Whereabouts? On Fulton. I lived in Fulton Street till I was like two. Okay. So I don't remember nothing. Right. <laughs> then we moved to Queens and moved to Laurelton. So do you consider yourself more of a Queens guy? Yeah. yeah. Queens and Philly. Queens and Philly. Philadelphia. When did you move to Philly? I moved to Philadelphia when I was a young age. So okay. I went to Philly, but my whole life has been 95 North, 95 South. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my swag and style and musical Back, background knowledge is from that Run DMC, LL, Lost Boys. But then I You're went. You're real to, Queens. Yeah. yeah, so Queens. Yeah, so Queens. And then <laughs> I went to Philly, and that's where the whole DJ world started. Right. And that's from Cash Money and Miz, and Jazzy yep. Jeff. Yeah. So I got a high. I used to call it, and it was not even a word, but by state. Mm -hmm. So I was like by state Right Because right, so you're not doing Jersey yeah. Oh no not yeah. Michelin S That's yeah, it yeah, yeah. That's the only Jerseys I'm doing <laughs> So What is growing up in Queens like? It was great man It was Green Acre Dollar Vans The Dollar Vans was great um, Green Acres Mall I was seeing Juice there Caught a Dollar Van back Got on the turntables Thought I was cute <laughs> Broke a needle that night um, Just Siblings? Um, two sisters older. Older. Yeah, I was the baby. You know, um, literally, LL's grandma lived seven blocks away. Running them used to co record um, everything at Larry Smith's house. He was a producer for Run DMC. I right. used to go over Larry Smith's house at a young age. Crazy. Sweet tea. Well, how did you meet Larry Smith? Um, through Run DMC. Just being going over there, like, they was always around. They were mm. on the steps, drinking 40s, or forever. And, uh, you know, the Coliseum. I was always shopping at the Coliseum. I remember Farrell and Organized Confusion used to be at a record store called Hot Watts on Merrick Boulevard. So just growing up in the epic yeah. times of Queens, and um, literally when my parents was like, 
y'all were moving to Philly, I just was crying all the time. Yeah. Like, Your parents said the bridge is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they was over. The bridge was over. And like I was like, why are we moving in the greatest time of hip hop? Yeah. Like, Nas and... Just seeing everything starting from, you know, I was like, we're, we're leaving here? So and your parents <laughs> wanted to move... To a safer neighborhood. But they didn't care about the rap stuff. Oh, no. They, they weren't like, oh, the music, actually, you want to know what? We're, we're going to keep it. You. Well, they was comparing, you know, Rakim to, to the OJ. So Rakim lost. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was never about the music. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, no. But, uh, you know, Philly was is great. I learned another part of the hip-hop culture of DJing because yeah. it was technical. And what did you bring from Queens to, to Philly? Well, I was in high school. At, for all the girls called me New York. I, right. liked, I liked it that. Yeah. Mixtapes. I came down with Ron G, Doo-Wop, mm -hmm. S&S. Um, People but, like, what, what? who are you? Yeah, they're like, yo, what are you doing? So I started <laughs> selling them in school, high school. Started selling mixtapes. Um, came down with the Triple Fat Goose. Um, Wait, does that mean that you're like dubbing the the tapes yourself? Oh hell yes. yeah! So uh, how many are you moving? Like, I was I was trying to get money back yeah. then. I was trying <laughs> to get a couple dollars, but um, you know, people was like, yo. So a lot of I was like the physical version of the Source magazine because I was literally coming back and forth telling, yo, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. So every summer. I would stay in Queens and come back for like back and forth. I go to school, do the school season, and stay in New York in the summer. And so, who are some of the artists that you like broke down in Philly? Who are you telling all your classmates about? And you're like, "Yo, this guy's up." Wow, Mike Geronimo. Yeah, nobody was up on him at all. Queens. Um, Chi, Chi Ali. Mm -hmm. Um, Sweet Tea. Everybody knew Shan and Karis One. Yeah. Right. Positive K, because um, used to record in Queens. Yeah. Um, LL was LL. And what about your style? Like, was that different than the Philly kids? Yeah, coming to Philly with Madidas with no shoestrings was like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> Got the hottest slippers in the game right now. Like, Adidas with no laces and slippers. So, um, And when you were coming back up to Queens, were you also saying, like, John, like, all the time? Or did you? Were you just like that's their thing? I didn't get it. I didn't get the slang yet. Like, I still don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's, John is hot though, you know, because you could use it for a lot of. If you don't know what you're talking about, you'd be like, "Yo, I'm on their podcast, the John." You know, <laughs> you know the John. But um, but it was it was a lot of ball. The ball. Yeah. I didn't know how to really spell that. I think it's B O A H now. It's ball. Yeah. And then the young ball. Right. Yeah, right. Um, Ock. Yeah. Yeah. Ock yeah, yeah, yeah. is definitely one. When do you actually first start getting into DJing? I started actually getting into DJing. I don't care about my date. I got good skin. Um, 86 was start, when I started DJing. And was it a serious thing? Or were you just like, let me play around and see? It was like, you know what? I When I was in Philly, I was in high school. It was ninth grade. And I was like, wow. So my ideology has always been like, Philly has better technical DJs. New York has better character voice and blending DJs mm. and rocking the party DJs. Mm -hmm. I always said if you took Jazzy Jeff and Kit Capri and made one person, mm -hmm. it's the most incredible DJ in the world. Well, who is the most incredible DJ in the world? It depends. You want a party <laughs> DJ or you want a technical DJ? So I was like, wow, I, I see something. I was like, you know what? I'm a DJ, New York style, but in Philly. And that's when the, the yelling and the screaming and the swag. <laughs> and all the sound effects and all that started. And um I I got I DJed enough to knew I was nice enough to rock a party, not crazy, going behind my back. No routine. My yeah, yeah. Yeah, but just enough to 
you know, blending, like, when you was taking the Mary J. Blige and you putting it over Onyx, they mm. was like, yo, <laughs> what are you doing? And you take the bridges over and you put, you know, like a Pay Bell record over. They was like, yo, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that was my technique of DJing in Philadelphia. That was what made me really, like, I got something. So high school, though? High school, yep. And, uh, like, high school parties? High school parties, couple proms. Wow. That was when I was like, yo, I could charge $200? Yeah, you're getting to, money. To, you remember the PVS speakers with the gray carpet? It was like a PVS speaker. The old Jamaican stack-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a set of those, and I was like, yo, I could make money doing parties. you have a car? I had, my dad had a 1980 Isuzu Mark diesel. Um, with enough room to take speakers, speakers take, <laughs> yeah, enough room to take speakers. So I used to drive that all the time, and then um, he also had the Scooby Doo van, mm-hmm. like it was brown <laughs> with the white top. With the, you remember the four yeah, captain's yeah. chair with yep. the stove? Yep. Mm-hmm. I got to use that. And you could get your license in Philadelphia at fifteen. So did yeah, I know that. Yep. And the Philly was great because it was no class. You just drive in a parking lot to get your license. Yo, who were your people who were carrying your crates? Wow. Um, Travi Trav, <laughs> Big Kendall, Skeeter Boo, Casper G, Donnie Mac. That was my whole squad. We used to roll out and carry the crates to Link. Shout out to them because that, that's the real. That's like, the, yeah. yeah that, we used to, like, with Pep City Hustlers. That was our one, our name at one point. And we used to do parties at Lincoln University, mm-hmm. um, Westchester University. That's when I was like, yo, I really could be somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my, and my brother Jazz. Um, and Taz, that was my whole little squad. Of That's we, a lot of records. <laughs> yeah, but you got to think like, yo, we had the double, the double crate, the long double milk crates. Yep. So I was like, you know, everybody was trying to get the singles, but we taking 10, 10, 12 crates to the party, speakers, amps. And then like in terms of like the music scene that's in Philly at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, Steady B, mm-hmm. Cool C, mm-hmm. Jazzy Jeff, Fresh Prince, of course. So this is before like Boys to Men. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. before Boys to Men. You had um I think I don't know if Bahamadia was on the end cuffs of that. Mm-hmm. Um then Illegal. Remember Illegal? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the boy band? Uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, yeah. Not band, but boy rappers. Um them Wait, what did they turn into? Um they was down with Tretch at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um so they was they was in Philly. Um the roots was just starting when they had Malik um, Malik Bay. You have that Queens basis, you have that Philly knowledge mm-hmm. at the end of high school like what's the move for you in a professional i was like i'm going back to new york i was like um what'd your folks say there's like because they knew i was just so into the music i was like i'm going back to new york and i was like they was like oh, all right i was like i'm gonna live with my uncle george on 221st and 130th and i was like i just gotta get back i want to get back i'm missing something so what happens when you come back to new york it was great. Um, I grew up under like Prince Paul and Daddy O. Mm-hmm. They was like two of my big mentors, and um, Daddy O was like at MCA Records, A uh, and R, him and Kidar. Mm-hmm. So I was always around them, and then Prince Paul literally was just um, starting the Grave Diggers and yep. stuff. So those were like who I was running with between them two, and just learned a lot. Built a little studio back on the on, on the block, and we had a, like a blue SP12. We had a Fostex six track machine. Does that mean you were producing too? Yeah, I started making. I produced, made a couple beats, 
And um, that was when I started really learning the industry. Like, yeah. Um, when I came, trust back. everybody. <laughs> you know what? I got guided a little bit. My my daddy on principal kind of told me how the game was from you know just from Stats signing and them. Yeah. Then to both of them going on different paths, like with with Paul starting De La Soul and you know and the Grave Diggers. So he knew the business from artist still in the group perspective, and then mm-hmm. Daddy L being executive. A and R at MCA with Mary J. Blige yeah, yeah. and all that, and um, you know, Kedar had um, Erica Badu and Freestyle Fellowship. So I just got to learn that at a young age under watching both of them. And were you still spinning? Nah, when I came back to New York, I was like, I'm a little fish in a big pond. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you know what? Let me learn this blue SB12. Let me learn this Akai 900, 950. Yeah, I wanted to step my game up and start to learn how to start producing. Now, so. Did you think that you were going to go into the label system? Did you think that you were going to, like, just handle production? Like, what was the move? Or are you, like, that young that you're just sort of, like, you're just there? So we had a group. I don't like talking about it because they didn't make it. But we had a group called the Unknown Roughnecks. Mm-hmm. And, well, that's uh, why they didn't make it. Of course. <laughs> yeah. We still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we swore we had it. We was like, yo, we got daddy on the building. Yo, we just got to get the demo right. And we gonna, he going to sign us. Right. So we really, you know, we saved about, took all the money I made, saved the DJ, and we got all the equipment. We had the, like I said, we had all the top-notch samplers and everything I felt like we needed to, um, you know, make the right demo. And I just felt like I was going to be a producer and, you know, just a, be a DJ enough for the group. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, look at Eric B and look at Jam After J. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a DJ, like forget these parties. Like, yeah. I want to be a DJ like them. So that was our whole goal was to get a deal. And that never happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was never happened. <laughs> that was tough. It was tough. It yeah. Was, it was especially in that, Heyday and my MCs they were nice, but I just we didn't wasn't nice enough. Were yeah. you taking meetings though, or was it just like you couldn't even get the meetings? We was we was infiltrating the buildings, but not really getting meetings. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So all, like just pressing you know numbers on the elevator and then hoping that <laughs> going to see Daddy on and be like, yo, can we go in so and so office and play our music? No. Yeah. Get out. Go get my lunch. go get my lunch. And I'm like, okay. So we never really got the real. Meetings. So with that not popping off, like how'd you move on? So. Prince Paul, where it actually started, he had a job in Switzerland that he couldn't make, a DJ job. He said, do you want to take it? And I was like, it was like a DJ, not battle, but a DJ, like New York person from another country. I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Well, hold on. Had you been out of the country at that point? No. Did you have a passport? No. Were you ready? (laughs) Yes. Okay. (laughs) So I was like, "Um, wow, I could do it. He was like, you're going to get paid. I think it was like maybe like close to like, thousand dollars and i was like yo i'm good i was going by myself yeah he gave me the job i remember the promoter name was Sven from switzerland oh by the way how's your french uh, no nah, <laughs> after Sven, it's over yeah. it's, it's over like um and i was like yo um i was like i can't do no more and i was like you know what let me take this jet cake so i went got a i remember i'll never forget i had a suitcase and a bag of records, like 40 records that fit in the bag. Got on the plane by myself. My parents took me to JFK. They was crying. Yeah. It was like, we might not never see our son again. <laughs> and and this is it. And um, I was like, I was on a plane for like 13 hours or something. And I was like, um, wow, what's really happening? Got over there. And I don't want to make this too long. But the promoters was like, they got to the airport. And the first thing they said was like, we have the bubble bath waiting for you. We're ready to take you to your hotel. And I was like, 
Uh. Yeah. I was like, no, we ain't going nowhere. Help. Help. So I found the police, and I'll never forget, I stayed at the Hotel Montana. Um, and I was like, take me to my hotel. I don't want to go with y'all. So the police was like, what's going on? I was like, I'm from America. I don't know nobody. And I was like, wow. They said bubble bath, and I don't want to go with them. And so the police took me to Hotel Montana. I literally stayed there. I walked down the street. No English, no phones, pay phones. Picked the pay phone up. They're talking French. I know what's going on. Lady at the front desk, no English. Um, and I'm like, what is what is really happening? So then um, I walked outside. I met a couple named, this guy named Gargamel. And there was two black people, a guy named Gargamel and another girl. They took me in for the whole week. Took me around. Took me to my show. It was the best. But best no bubble bath. <laughs> no bubble bath. You ended up playing. Yeah, I didn't see the promoters. Until the night of the event, but I didn't even go get to with them again. Yo, your parents were so right to be worried. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. It was like really a scary trip. But now you're international. Yeah, I was international. So you come back to the United States, and are you like, yo? So what? I saw things. Yeah, <laughs> I saw. I was. I was like, yo, this is great. I just got a chance to go overseas, and then after that, the next thing that helped me really get into the industry is Prince Paul did an album called Psychoanalysis mm -hmm. and I was got a, the pleasure to work with him on that and we did a tour in Europe we did like Dover um, we just did a lot You're of like spots. this this shit's old hat like like yeah. that flight nothing like yeah, it was nothing <laughs> so the last spot we did was the Jazz Cafe in London for the show where they it, speak English <laughs> totally English in London so then um, after that I met an A&R from Tommy Boy Records named Max Nichols. He was like, yo, that was cool what you was doing up there, DJing. And I used to bring the sampler on the road with me. So yeah. that was, he's like, yo, that's impressive. And I was like, yo, when I get back, I got something. I got a group I'm working with. And he was like, okay, you're going to meet him. Like, come on up and play it. And I got back and I took um, him our demo and we wound up getting a, a deal on Tommy Boy Records in 1997. Well, okay. that's not the unknown Roughnecks. No, that was, <laughs> that was another group named the Deadly Snakes. Yeah, that sounds like a gang from like, <laughs> yeah. like uh, the Warriors. <laughs> exactly, or a, a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. totally. So, um, we what we copied a whole pattern after Wu Tang. We was like an eight member group with a kung fu name. Yeah, yeah. A kung fu name. I didn't want a snake name. <laughs> I always stay set free. My mom and dad like really from the fire and brimstone church. They was like, you're not gonna be a snake. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll stay set free. But um, and we landed. Two tracks on the Jet Li soundtrack, the Black Mass movie. Whoa. We had a, um, I got to produce, those were my first two tracks sold. 97. 97. Major label deal. Tommy Boy Records. Have you made it? Have you felt like, yo, I'm on top of the world? I was, I was like, wow. I, I bought a 1997 Ford Explorer, the two-door coupe. Oh. Like the coupe Jeep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't afford the Ford. <laughs> Um, we had a studio in the basement of Southwest Philly, so we got to keep a lot of the money for recording. Smart. I was like, yo, we got a deal. We get to record in Philly. I got a Jeep, and we're on Tommy Boy Records. In the heyday, Capone and Noriega just came over. Mm -hmm. um, Royce the 5'9 just came over. Latifah was there. It was just a, a dope label. I was like, yo, we're on one of the, we we on Planet Rock. Like, yeah. like yeah. I was, I feel like we made it. Then, like, our first single was in a movie, so I was like, yo, this is... We're out of here. We, we're going good. Like, this is fucking easy. I was like, this is great. <laughs> and then the eight-member group started breaking up. The thing is, you need a RZA. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to be that. I wasn't I wasn't that strong to be RZA. Though. 
So one member left, and then everybody was like, yo, man, your studio sucks, man. You ain't got no effects. You ain't got no lexicons. You ain't got a, a, a even tides. I was like, yo, man. Well, question. Did you have any effects? <laughs> I didn't have what Chung King had in, in like, D&D and... You know, people started hearing about all the super effects, and they, I was like, "Yo, I got ADATs doing one." It's like, "No, nah, I don't want to lay flat no more. I need to." Literally, I remember the people was in the booth, and they was like, "Yo, I want to record sounding mixed. I don't want to record sounding flat no more." And I was like, "It's over." I was, I felt like Malcolm on the stage, and somebody was like, "Kitchen on my pocket." And then I was, I left the group next. Wow, but you were set free before I left, and one found me. And that's when okay. I was like, I left. All right. How did they find you? I was in, shout out to Rich Medina and, and Bobito. They had a record store in Philly called Footwork. Uh, right off 2nd and Market. So I used to go there every week to buy wax, buy records. And I was in there. And um, my uh, my guy now, who name, I mean, he's my guy now, but then I didn't know him. His name's Peter Smalls. Mm-hmm. He actually came in the store, and he always collected wax too. So he came in. And he just was staring at me. And he was like, yo, man. Went in his book bag and was like, yo, you like these sneakers? And I was like, nah, they suck. <laughs> but you connect them to hip-hop, they'll work. He was like, what you mean? I was like, yo, man, hip-hop's about to be that wave. It's, it's going to be the number one marketing tool in the world. He was like, so you can get these on artists? I was like, yeah, it's no problem. Gave me his car. He was like, why don't you come up to... um." And one more. I'll give you a bunch of sneakers and shorts. So I was like, yo, I was like, all right, if y'all really going to give me something. I was about to DJ in Miami at a conference at Fountain Blue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I forgot the wrestling league, but I was DJing at a, at a wrestling event. Mm-hmm. Me and the groups, the Snakes was going down there. They were performing. I was DJing at a wrestling event. So they brought me up to office the next day. And it was like, um, do you like anything in here? And I was like, yo, y'all shorts are fire. And, uh, you know, they had the the Jordan Nike shorts. They were the first in the game to have them. Yeah. And I was like, yo, if y'all send me some product to my hotel, I get the rappers to wear it and all the people I know in the industry. So they was like, all right. So I called the label, got a hotel address. I get to the Fountain Blue. I got 50 pair of sneakers, like 50 T-shirts, 50 pair of shorts. So you know like, 50 rappers? <laughs> I was like, I don't. So then I was like, yo, I turned to like, my hotel room into like a suite. We lifted the mattress up out of the bed, put it up on the wall, <laughs> grabbed all the hangers, and just made a showroom of and one. So next thing you know, I'm inviting Buster, Buckshot, everybody, Big Lads from BT. So I'm getting everybody to take pictures in the clothes in front of the, in, in the hotel. In front of the mattress that's upturned against the exactly. wall. It was, yeah. No, it was white backdrop there. Yeah, it was yeah, white yeah, backdrop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an official showroom. It was yeah. a showroom now. Like, don't let them know. Yeah, when people <laughs> say that you didn't have effects, these <laughs> yeah. are the effects These are my effects. Yeah. So then I go back, uh, get the pictures. I go to Rite Aid, drop the camera off. Then I got Wait the, three to five days. Yeah. It was a two-day rush. <laughs> I only had two days. Two-day rush. Get back to Philly. I got the pictures. I go by the source. I go by Word Up. And there was a couple of the magazines. I was like, hey, yo, I want to come back up to N1 and show y'all what I did. So next thing you know, I'm showing the magazine. And then I pulled the pictures out to match every rapper that I had. Like, yo, this is Buckshot. This is Smith & Wesson. This is Buster. And they was like, you know all these people? I was like, yo, <laughs> here, like they are holding or wearing the shirt. They was like, you want a job? I was like, yeah. They was like, I was like, what am I going to do? They was like, product placement. I was like, what's that? He was like, you place product. I was like, oh, okay. 
And that was how I got my first job. Holy and shit. And one. And you knew Busta and all these guys like just through the years. Through the years of the industry, yeah. yeah. Did you see the vision? Not yet. Well, were you wearing the clothes? Hell no. <laughs> I wasn't then. I was still like wearing Nikes. Yeah. And, but I, I threw a T on in the shorts. But it's a job. I kind of was trying to prove myself mm. before I really got immersed in the brand. Gotcha. Mm. So that was the first thing. And then um, I got thrown into... The next step when it started getting really serious, I got thrown into like a 14-hour marketing meeting. They went out to a hotel. We launched the hotel. Nobody could make calls. All in the room. Beepers off. Phones off. Everything was just locked us in. And What's they, worse, a 14-hour marketing meeting or a 13-hour flight to Switzerland? <laughs> the flight, because we were talking about they just signed Latrell Sprewell, so it was kind of fun. Oh, oh, man. So, um... They threw me in the market. I mean, I knew nothing about it. And it was like, and I think I was like the cool black guy. And it was like, yo, we're about to do this campaign on the trail wearing braids. Do you want to do it? I was there like, oh, wait, that's a little racy. I don't want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff, they pulled me in. I was like, all right, cool. So I, we left the meeting. We had a Canon XL1 and a GL1 camera. So I went down and seen Quest. He was in the studio. And I was like, yo, I got an idea. Let me film you. And I was like, yo, Tell me what you feel playing the drums, how the trail drops to the basket. And then he started doing that. I was like, so tell me how you feel. I did like three questions, and I had the raw footage, and it was questions playing drums about how you feel about the trail. Took it back to Ann One and showed them. They put me on a plane to Florida to Crispin Porter Bogusky, which is an advertising agency. Yeah, yeah, it is. To edit the commercial. To put this in perspective, yeah. uh, Spree was new to the Knicks. At yep, that point, totally. Um, and Chris and Porter later became like the Burger King and Truth, and, the Truth campaign, yeah, Burger yeah, King, Home like Depot, pushed the limits and like changed. Alex Alex Burguski is like a mentor of mine, like the one who really was the last part of Chris and Porter Burguski. But but for you to go to Questlove and say, "Hey, how do you feel about this?" Yep. Like, you know, convey that through your through your craft. Mm. That's just second nature to you. This isn't like formal training. This is Nothing. just like, and now they're like, we see it. Go talk to these guys, guys and put something together. Literally sent me down there with the footage and was like, let's make this a commercial. Next thing you know, I call Quest. I'm like, yo, Quest, <laughs> they want to make this commercial. This is going to be a lot of money for you. He was like, this is going to be my first time on TV. I was like, let's do this. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's in a play, it's in playoff and it was and one commercial just straight grainy gritty well how do you feel like this must be like a whirlwind like yeah i was like wow i, I direct- forget the snakes like, yeah, you know? i was the snakes was over i'm out yeah. the group now <laughs> it, was, it was it was a wrap i was a director and i was like i directed a commercial and i was like i didn't look at it like i was being a director i was uh then i was a creative director because i came up with the concept but i didn't look at it like i was a creative director i was like i'm just going to see my friend in the studio and shoot him. And it, then I was like, wow, I'm, I'm a producer because it's on TV. Now I'm watching it on ABC. Like, this is crazy. So once that happened, and one was like, yo, you want to be a director of marketing? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Cause but it, do these titles mean anything to you or is it just like? I'm off the block, off yeah. the 1200s, straight learning everything as I go along. So then I was like. It's your intuition. Yeah, it was. it was just. It was just like my pulse. It was a heartbeat. So then I said, no, you know what? Let's make that director of entertainment marketing. Mm. And I was like, because I don't know all the other stuff. And he was like, cool. 
And that's how it all started. When did you find out that Latrell Sprewell saw the commercial? When he came in the office. It came in because we was running two campaigns at the same time. One was the print campaign with everybody wearing braids, mm-hmm. and we ran the Quest Love commercial. And what did he say? He was like, it's a cool group. <laughs> and I was like, bet. I'm, I'm doing something right. So, Were you a Knicks fan or were you a Sixers fan? Wow, that was a good question. I really died out of sports for a minute because I was so into hip-hop. Wow. Very I, political. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great answer, right? Got that from Trump. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just was so into hip-hop, I just fell out of sports for a little bit. But now you're working with, you know, a bunch of, you know, people who want to spread the word through yeah. entertainment and sports. And sports. So I got it was a gift, man, because I always say I learned sports, fashion, retail, and I lived hip-hop all at one time. Who was the... the Act that you had at the very top of the list, you're like, I need to seed them with with An One. Well, that's really kind of when it, the An One mixtape started. It was like, how do I get all these artists I really like to work with? But was wait, it wait, wait. before we even go into that? Okay, An One is an independent um, company out of Philly, out of Philadelphia, yep. and they're going against Nike, Adidas, Reebok, like all these big brands. Yeah, not even at that point, we they wasn't even going to get. It was just like. Cool guys, the owners of the company, doing something. But it's but it's like you know taking off obviously enough to get like an ABC commercial. Like there's there's money coming in. Coming in, yeah, totally. So like, who's buying all this stuff? Well, they got in Foot Locker from just the T-shirts, the trash talk tees. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what started it. So the trash talk tees was just in, and they already had Stefan Marbury Mm sign. That was like their first person. Then when Spreewell, because see, where anyone was smart. They took a lot of the players that was in trouble. You know, he just choked the coach out. Yeah. Right. He came to New York, and they were smart enough to say, look, he's going to the number one capital in America. If we put marketing behind this, it's going to move. Mm-hmm. And that's when the red flag got raised, like, wow, these guys are competing with Nike and stuff. Now, from a marketing aspect, because you got the Knicks, you got Sprewell, you got the coach, all that. So that's when they kind of – that's when the trajectory started of now their competitor. And by the way, it, it helped that the Knicks went to the finals in 99. Exactly. Yeah, they were playing very well. Things aligned at the same time. Those were good years oh my God. for all three of us Knicks fans. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> Knicks fans. Yeah. yeah. So was there an idea that you guys would shy away from like trying to go get a Tim Duncan or get um, you know someone else on that level? And it was like, let's go move in a different direction and maybe streetball is that move well by the way tim duncan not a guy who gets in trouble well that's what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i think well skip was already a part of n1 mm-hmm. but it wasn't known to a lot of people did you call him skip or did you call him like rafer or i call him skip yeah skip yeah I always called him skip so he was a part of n1 he was part of n1 how did you transition into making the n1 mixtape so n1 had a kitchen and in the kitchen, it was a VCR and a tape, a TV. And it was like a little dirty wood shelf with all the VHSs on there. So um, Jeffrey Smith, who was the head of marketing, we went in there and we just popped the tape in. And I was watching him. I was like, this is incredible. Like, what are y'all doing with this? Are y'all crazy. And I was like, can I take these home? Can I take a tape home, two of them? And he was like, yeah, just bring them back. Make sure you bring them back. And this is just raw footage, all these um, what is it, Gaucho's Gym and Rucker, West Forth, 
just all these streetball tapes. So back then in my studio, I had the TV hanging from the the top of the wall, and but it hung right over my turntables. <laughs> so the way I used to practice was I turned the TV volume down and played the music from the turntable. So it was the TV with the VHS in the bottom. I thought I was hot. So I <laughs> popped the tape in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> made that noise. And I was like, what? So then I'm like hitting play and I'm just watching. And I was like, okay. So then I'm just DJing, watching the tape. And it hit. I was like, snares for jump shots, kicks for dunks. And I was like, pat, 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 doom, doom, pat. And I was like, wait, this is feeling good. So then I just play a beat and I had the bed in the back right behind it in another part of the studio and I was just like boom cut the beat on just watch the screen and I timed it I was like bap I got the snare up so for some reason like every 15 seconds or something it matched up on its own and I was just watching it like I got it <laughs> I found gold go to work the next morning I was like yo y'all gotta put me in the studio it's like, what do you want to do? Make a record? And I was like, no, I, the tapes, music, I can't explain it. <laughs> I was like, y'all gotta put me in the studio. I was like, but it can't be a regular studio. I was like, it has to be somewhere with, I don't know nothing. I was like, some way how to put the picture to music. I don't know how to do that. Mm. It's like, you want to have it? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, I never heard of that word. It was like, it's the editing bay that you need to do that. And I was like, yeah, cool. Can, can it's one around the corner. It's one downtown. It's like. Now you got to go back to Crispin Porter Bogusky. I was like, all right. <laughs> cool, I'll go back to Florida. Yeah, what a bummer to go to Miami. Yeah. They was like, we're going to put you in the Marlin Hotel for a week. <laughs> I was like, you know, there was a crazy studio in the Marlin. Um, I was like, all right, I'll go down there. So I, they put me in the studio, and they was like, um, what do you need? And I, just, <laughs> I'm, I have a book bag, and I'm like, oh, I need two Techniques 1200 turntables and a Vestex mixer. Can y'all get me a Vestex? They was like, okay, we'll get you a Vestex. So next thing you know, they bring in, they was like, what do you want to do? I was like, pull the picture up, and somehow I need you to record me playing this music over that. So then it was like, okay, so we did a test. So I put a demo together in a week, then I flew back, and I was like, this is what I want to do. And they was like, yo, this feels great. And they was like, can you do it? I was like, yeah. Put. They was like, all right. We're gonna see you down here for three months. Make it happen. So I literally was in Miami for three months. So now the next step was these was records. This was all done. I had to figure out a way to get music that wasn't done. Great point. Was I was still signing Tommy Boy Records. So I was like, Sam Crespo was there. Hey, Chris Atlas was there. Hey, our guys. Yeah, all my guys. And I was like, yo, I need music that's not out. But that's about to come out. I need white label music. I need music in the studio. Yeah. So then I was working with Raucous too at this. Like I started learning Raucous and Giant, Brian and Jared yep. became my guys and Danny. And I was like, yo, I'm working on something. I need some music that's not out. So Sound Bombing was coming out. And I knew most. I knew Quad and I knew them. And I was like, yo. So the whole first tape was Raucous and Tommy Boy Records. <laughs> and that's how the A1 mixtape got the music so then i got the records you know and then i didn't even have to dj because i couldn't they wasn't even pressed up yet they was just that tapes you know just final mixes on that so we got all the footage put all the music to there and then i was like this ain't right i was like being a student of listening from ron g and sns i was like 
and still need some more stuff. So I was like, yo, this need drops. I need the rappers shouting out something. But I was like, but I don't want to tell them what to say because it's going to feel phony. Right. So I told the engineer, I was like, can you make me 15 copies of this tape? Just one minute of this tape. Like one or two minutes. So next thing you know, he made 15 copies. I'm calling everybody out. <laughs> Call Wanye from Boys to Men. Mm. Call Sway. All of the, my friends. Yo, I'm going to FedEx you a tape. I need you to watch it. And then I'm going to call you the next day. And I need you to tell me what you think. So I FedExed all the tapes out. Two days later, I'm calling everybody. Patch the phone into the board. And I'm recording it. And that's how like Sway started the first. He was like, yo, this is Sway from the world's famous wake-up show. <laughs> Watching the N1 mixtape. It's crazy. Yo, this is Wanye from Boys to Men. Checking it out at the Mad Studio. My man Free. This is sick. So that's how all the drops got done. So then I was like, watching, I'm like, okay, I got the drops. Shit still ain't right. And I was like, I need somebody screaming on this tape. <laughs> and I was like, it should be me. I was like, yo, I'm going to be the dude. Yeah. And then next thing you know, I went in the booth. And the queens came out of you. It came out. I was like, yo, it's the N1 mixtape. Street ball to the fullest. <laughs> and I was like, yo, it's done. <laughs> I did it. So then we mixed it and mastered it. Put me back on the plane. I went to the office. They was like, we got something. Hey, guys. We just want to take one second to interrupt this podcast to tell you about our new album, Teddy Bear Fresh, available on all streaming services right now. Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, Tidal, Apple Music, everywhere that you can stream your music you should go stream our music it's called teddy bear fresh production by greg mayo and features appearances by bun b currency smoke dizza michael christmas tunji ige jazz cartier angie martinez just blaze combat jack and many more go support your boys it's the real by pressing play on all those streaming services teddy bear fresh is the album we will be performing cuts from that album live in la on november 2nd go get your tickets at it's the real.com and now back to the podcast so everyone knew it they recognized it yeah all the, the owners was like the only hiccup was they was like yo let's call it the basketball mixtape <laughs> it was like yo what about the dribble mixtape or the dunk and slam i was like no I was like, yo, let's just make it the N1 mixtape. Well, here's the thing. I can't trust you with names at this point because you've already worked with the Unknown Roughnecks. Yeah. Deadly Snakes. Deadly Snakes is a horrible name. Hard enough. But they didn't know that, though. Yeah. They didn't know nothing about that. Yeah, the director of entertainment marketing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, they, they, what'd you say goes? Yeah, after Quest, I was. they, they counted. The <laughs> names went away. Well, so, okay. Uh, musicians get it. Personalities get it. Yeah. Do, do the basketball players get it? So, Who are you playing it for? I didn't play for nobody. I didn't know this. I didn't know none of the streetball players. None. So we got the tape done. We hired Heavyweight from Canada, which is a big art company. They did the cover. And I'll never forget, I called Sam. They was like, how many tapes you want to do? I was like, 100,000. They was like, 100,000? They was like, let's do 10,000 at first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So I'll never forget, I called Sam Crespo. I was like, yo, Sam. I got it. All the record. I called Sam and I called Rockers. And I was like, yo, all the music y'all gave me done. It's on these mixtapes. I want to send them to the label so y'all street teams can pass them out. Sam called me like, yo, what are you doing? <laughs> it's a flatbed truck out front with a forklift. We got skids of tapes. Oh, my God. Same thing with Rockers. I was like, yo, I'm sorry. I didn't know they was going <laughs> to send that many tapes. So next thing you know, 
both labels got all the shipped to their street teams. And then I went up to Rucker with like 500 tapes and we just flooded the court. And that was the start of the mayhem. So then all the street ball players started calling in one like, yo, we gonna sue y'all. Y'all got us on this joint. Where I put a bread at? How y'all gonna start putting us out? Who got paid? Short term. No. Wait, yeah, so like uh, the basketball players have like, you know, legal issues with it. I'm surprised the record companies. It was promotion like, only. Mm, giving them oh, because you're not I, actually selling, selling them. them. Yeah, so I talked to the labels. They gave me the music. Yeah, yeah. So it was all promotional. We right. talked yeah. 1997, 1997. Right, this is like before like Napster, all that shit. It's, so yeah. like, it's way before, yeah. yeah. So like the, the We're VHS, labels, though. The record yeah. labels are like thriving. <laughs> They're loving it because yeah. there was no legal needed to be. I didn't do no paperwork for volumes one through four with record labels. What Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. No, nothing, nothing. Promotional use only? only. Like for real. It was done. So the ballplayers have a, have a problem with this. Yep. How do you settle that? Baseball so, bats. <laughs> so I Deadly was, snakes. Yeah. Exactly. Could have been. So I was like, yo, I got to go to Rucker. We need to go meet these guys. And the skip knew him. But then he's like, so I went to, um, it was a streetball classic in Virginia. And main event, me and um, a guy named Jeff, I forgot his last name. Went. Rosenthal. <laughs> Probably was you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jeffrey Smith and another um, guy named Jeff. We went to Virginia and I met Main Event. Mm. And I was like, yo, this dude. He was, because he was in the first volume. Yeah, yeah. He was dunking like crazy. I've never seen anybody dunk the ball like he did on a street ball level. And I was like, yo, dude, you are really serious. And I was like, yo, uh, I'm working on something, man. Like, you know, I don't know the business. They're not selling it. They're not making money off y'all right now. So I was like, it's got to be the way to fix this. So then there was another guy named George that worked at the YMCA in Harlem. And he knew Headache. Mm-hmm. So he's like, yo, I know the kid Headache. I'll help y'all get to him. So those were the first two guys I met. was Headache and Main Event. And then I went to the Rucker and met everybody else. And I was like, yo, we need to get a team together. So the first players to, to orchestrate the team was main event, Shane the Dribbling Machine, F- Future, Headache, Half Man, Half Amazing, and Aircraft. That was the first six. And I was like, yo, I got it, y'all. Y'all gonna be the first people to get a street ball deal like the NBA players. I said, let's get y'all signed to N1. What'd they say? They was like, yo, what was the bag right? They didn't say the bag. The bag wasn't the yeah, terminology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came later, but yeah. they was like, yo, let's Let's figure it out. And then I went back and was like, yo, we need to sign these guys. And we signed it. We got lawyers, got a deal, and it, the first ever street ball players to get signed. What record do you think really popped off off that first tape? 1999 was Chris um, Common and most mm-hmm. was that was Botadon um, and it was Sadat Sad- Sad- on it. I think it was Common most. I think it was Common most and Sadat, but that was. One, nah, nah, nah. Yeah, that was when I, when D- R- Rockers gave me that record, I was like, whoa, y'all gave me a joint. The success of the tapes is like evident right away mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. Do the ball players get it, and do the and do the record labels get it? Do they see and they're like, yo, when's Volume Two coming out? Exactly, it started. We and one after we got the first one out there, the streets started talking. The kids in the neighborhoods was like, yo, and one, this is cool. The mixtape became a barbershop phenom because the VHS was in every every barbershop, and it just it, it showed the rucker 
outside of New York mm. to everybody to like what was going on. You remember Shane was dancing on the court. Mm-hmm. Future, they was jumping over people, jumping over each other, popping the ball off people's forehead. <laughs> so it became like a a hood legendary classic fast. So and one was like, what are we doing? Because we kind of ran out of footage after the first tape was compiled, Volume One. So we actually talked to Main Event because Main Event was like he was like the 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 one that did a lot of stuff and we was like yo we gotta do a game our own game so he was like yo let's do a game in my park in Jersey I forgot what part main event lives in so he lives in Jersey and he put together a game in like a weekend and we took all the players that was originally in the first tape all the players we signed and then they got other players to play them and that was volume two mm. how quickly you turn that around I mean, it may be after the game, maybe maybe four to five months getting in. It was a year probably after the first tape. So. And what's the difference in numbers from the first tape to the second one in terms of like num like I tape think, produced and I think and we I forgot exactly, but we started getting up to the hundred hundred thousand tapes, like maybe close to two hundred for the second tape. Oh, so Sam Crespo couldn't hold you back. Yeah, you know, I, I, was, it was, I was ready. Because yeah. now I'm calling Interscope, I'm calling everybody. Like, I'm now I'm starting to get other records and stuff. Break. And how is the apparel moving at that time? It started It started getting there. I'm, it's been so long. I don't know when we came up with the concept to you have to go into foot action to get a tape. That's when the apparel started really moving. Like, you go into foot action, you get... Kids was buying headbands, like yeah. they was buying whatever. But then it's, we figured out that it second tape we figured out a mistake because kids was going in the store buying Nikes and Reeboks <laughs> just to get a tape, and the stores was like, "Bet we don't care, whatever this we making money." So then third tape we made it where it's like you have to buy and one product mm-hmm. to get a tape. Smart. But after the sec- second tape, that's when it, uh, it started becoming a lifestyle. Looking product. back at it now, what do you think? From what you did in terms of spreading street ball around mm-hmm. the country and the world, your vision did to organize basketball. It was incredible, man, because I was watching ESPN, and I think we we was remember the the carry rule. We we was the reason that changed <laughs> because that's when you know street ball people was playing and they do the wide crossover, and then next thing you know, it was like a double dribble. We feel like we changed the dress code because. The N one ta- N one logo became a a tattoo on many a NBA players. Just a man holding the ball out, so that became um, crazy. Just the um, between what Allen Iverson created for the culture and right. the N one at the same time, we feel like a lot of things we did helped the league, and also they would say hurt the league. We feel like the dress code changed. The dress evolved. evolved. The, the dress code yeah. came when the height of the N one mixtapes happened. Mm-hmm. The the palm rule, the tattoos really started flourishing because it was like street ball. It was like the players in the NBA was like, yo, I, don't, I, I still want to feel like I'm playing street ball. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then just on the marketing aspect, you know, we've seen ESPN through them years start really digging in the crates. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, yo, next thing you know, we've seen the editing styles of ESPN change to you see like the rap video now the Chirons is in the bottom of the corner of certain highlights we was like yo this is our whole wave so it was just it was just a true, true testament to see what we created to go into the professional sports yeah yeah but were you guys like flattered by that or was it just like 
Like, what did, what are you feeling at that point? When I was flattered, but I was like, I'm broke. Like, I was like, yo, this is like we're changing the world, and it's like we're making our money, but it's like, yo, to see uh, your ideas and your creativity and magnitude start changing the world, it's like, oh, how can we keep taking this to another level and making more money? And like, how can this really turn into business? Because we was all young. We didn't have lawyers. We didn't. We were just fresh off the blocks and we just was like so it was a it was a, a difficult balance like we're happy we're loving it we're young we're flying around touring i mean europe australia but then at the same time it was like wow we we got to figure out a way to make more money with this and how did you make more money with it i was it was at a point where just i was i, I did i was an employee so once i started learning i didn't take the the music industry um format to that because i couldn't because once i worked there as an employee it was over you know any any intellectual property you give them they own it so i was like you know okay that was these are the reasons why i positioned myself more as a talent always all the way through mm -hmm. when i worked at a1 because that door was shut not having legal when i got hired but at 26 i didn't know nothing about that when did the sort of and one wave sort of crash well, I feel like we went, we was on a high. We went to volume five. Four, we did four volumes without selling. Volume five, we started selling. So the public and the kids started being like, because I, when I first, the tour in the beginning, we'd pull up to your neighborhood and do a free game in the park for free. Mm -hmm. Once we started going to the staple centers and, you know, the big arenas and charging, it started getting different. Then I remember... The marketing heads and the owners was like, okay, free, you got to go to record labels now negotiate how to get this music because we're selling it. And I was like, oh, this is another this, conversation. This yeah. is a whole nother. Now I'm calling an artist like, yo, I need you to do me a solid. Oh, for free, the sample ain't cleared. It just. So that's when I knew it started changing. But what also happened, the tour happened. So, you know, one side of the business was great because the tour happened, the ESPN TV show, the Mountain Dew sponsorship, the big money. But on this side, the what built it, the AOM mixtape started going through a different trajectory path. But what um what artists were still fucking with you? All of them. I mean, like I did a um Styles P commercial with Kevin Garnett and Timberland did the beat. Mm. So we started extending besides just the um mixtape we started actually now putting music in our real television commercials in-store campaigns so it was other ways that artists was making money me and dj enough did a mixtape for them mm -hmm. and um so we you know i was controlling a great budget and mm -hmm. so i was still paying artists on other things like performances most deaf performed at Mahana college we had the locks perform i forgot the park outside right up near the water up in harlem mm -hmm. We had like all the Beanie Seagull freeway, like so, Fat Joe. So I had a great budget to pay everybody. So that was the balance I was doing. Like, okay, yo, I'm going to get you for this in-store. I'm going to get you for the performance the game. But in turn, I need you to go yeah. work your label, try to get this cleared for me at a low price. Yeah. So I think once we started selling the product, that's when the game changed. How does your time with N1 finish up? N1 got sold and once I did nine years, yeah, great bid, great bid, <laughs> yeah. it was a cool bid. I did nine years, and um, I just started learning the business so much more, and certain things started happening. I was like, you know what? I created what got y'all to this platform. I should have been 
smarter, but I, you know, no regrets. And I was like, um, they started, they sold the company, they started laying a lot of people off. We was at like close to maybe 200 employees. It got back down to like maybe 40 employees, and then I was Whoa. next. You know, and I was, it was like, okay, it's free, we gotta they let you go. Wait, was that all in, in the one office in yeah. uh, in Philly? We had a big office, we had a super, yeah, in Philly. We had um, full, full court. <laughs> we had um, pool room with pool tables, and we it was a big office. And then like, it just gets decimated, like 200 down to 40. Yeah. Start like so that's like a an empty empty warehouse. office. Yeah, it was turned into like a you know like a, a, a scene off Walking Dead. You're a director, a producer, a, a visionary, uh-huh. um, and then you're the only employee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so how do you take those skills and figure out where to move next? So left left um, and one got a nice severance. So I was like, okay, congratulations, yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I fought hard, fought hard. Yeah. Got a good severance and got a call from Steve Rifkin. He's like, yo, you created the N1 mixtape. I need you on my team at Loud Records. I was like, okay. And I was loyal, man. Um, I'm, I'm just a loyal guy. Nike tried to hire me when I was with N1. Probably the dumbest thing I ever did, but I didn't go. Um, well, do you like Portland? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about going out there and crying because it rained all the time. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> I could have hung it up out there. And um, Steve Rifkin called and was like, "Yo, I'm watching you." Because um, through that time, I was just I was working with Crispin, so I was learning a lot. And then Steve was like, um, "I know you do marketing." He literally drove to Philadelphia. Him and shouts out to my brother Gabby mm. came down to Philly. We went to a cheesesteak spot, and he's like, "Yo, I want you on my team." And I was like, "Wow." He's like, "I want you to do marketing with Loud Records and um from and Loud, and I'm about to do a new venture sometime soon." And I want you over here. Okay, but really quick, are you a Geno's guy or a Pat's guy? I'm a Rocco's guy. Okay, Rocco's. Rocco's, and get ready to laugh. <laughs> it's a cheesesteak spot outside of Home Depot. It's the best. <laughs> I will bet on it. It's Rocco's. <laughs> like all this Pat's, Geno's. Right. It's cool. Get your wheelbarrow. Yeah. yeah. Yo, when your you, lumber. Yeah, and then, when and you get in a two by four, when you like. <laughs> When they, you know, doing whatever they're doing and they tell you it's going to be 15 or 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah. I'm at Rocco's. See, this is the marketing that you should be doing That's for right. Rocco's. Yo, I'll, like, when the money get there, yeah. I'm probably going to yeah. invest in Rocco's. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was, Steve came down and I was like. Yeah, you were like, let's build. And he's like, all right, where? And you're like, at the Home Depot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then not too long after that, I'm working with, um. Steve Rifkin. So, like, uh, so his new situation was SRC. Yeah, it was right. It was like maybe a year before he went to SRC. So, so who are some of the artists that he's got on the roster at that point? I worked on the Akon's first album. Um, we was at Akon even before he signed them. David Banner, Remy Ma, Terra Squad, Lean Back. Yeah, um, got to work that album, and um, those are my projects. Those are, and that at that time, so. So yeah, Lean Back's obviously like a smash. Out of here. Number one hit, right? Um, yeah. You know, Joe came over there with that record and it was, that's when Khaled was around him as his DJ mm-hmm. and it was like you were seeing Joe, the whole Terror Squad movement born and that, when that record came, it was like big record. And like the building was happy. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Totally happy. Keep the lights on. That's right. <laughs> Kept the block on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them locked up. Um, 
Yeah. 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 You know. Oh, my God. Banner, it was just fun. I was like, well, we got an artist from Mississippi. This is. Like a pimp? Yeah, like a pimp. Yeah. Lil Flip. Oh, Lil Flip was. Oh. You remember Lil Flip? Yeah. So I was like, yeah. That's a lot of good records right there. Yeah, like Steve was breaking some real records. And um, did my time with him with that. And I was like, a couple years, like a three year run. And I was like, you know what? I gotta. I just want to do marketing on a different level. It was like I felt like you know. So a couple years there, and and you're you're thinking outside of music. Well, Chris Robinson, which was the, the director, yeah, yeah, called me, and I was just home, you know, doing consult because I was consulting after I left and one for everybody. And are you living in Philly or New York? I was living in Philly, driving back and forth to New York. Um, I was staying with a cool Jewish family on 21st Street between 5th and 6th, right down the street from Slate. Mm-hmm. Going to work, staying there back and forth for three years. And then Chris Robinson called me and was like, yo, you want to be music? You want to help be music coordinator for ATL the movie? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I flew out there and... the you called most deaf. And Rockets Records and Tommy Boy again. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah. I actually went to um, L.A. and lived with Chris from the first week of January to when the ATL movie came out. And I lived in Chris' apartment and I went to Warner Brothers studio every day. He dropped me off the first week and said, hey, here's my guy set free. He did day one mixtapes. He knows a bunch of producers, hip hop. He knows everybody. See you later. So I'm in the studio with um, Julia. I forgot her name. She's a big music supervisor she did like the devil wears prada she worked on a lot of a lot of great movies and um she was like you know so we're just looking for some beats we're looking for some tracks to go in these scenes you know any producers the budget you know always the budget's always small yeah, yeah. And you, could, you could be doing like something for the president the budget's yeah. small <laughs> so they was like um yeah here just sit in here we're gonna play the movie for you get to watch the movie and um just can you by thursday start getting some beats and i was like this is this is sweet. Yeah, yeah. So I called Isaac Hayes the third son. Mm-hmm. Isaac Hayes son from Atlanta. Um, a couple other producers I know, and they just start sending beats over. So then I think I got like maybe a hundred beats and close to a hundred. And then the next week, they was like, "All right, let's start striping them. Let's start putting the beats to the scenes." And um, that's took me like I worked for maybe five months to to do that whole job and stuff. You know, you've gone from. You know, a small TV. <laughs> exactly. Your turntables right there to, to watch a movie, screen, a movie yeah. screen. Watching a movie screen. Is this the move for you at that point? Are you like, let me do more? I was, you know what? Literally, me and um, I got married right after that, and um, I was like, wow, this is incredible. I was like, but it was through a friend. It was. It wasn't like I was gonna pursue a, a um, scoring. As a career. Career. I was yeah. like, you know, I just knew I always had good ear connections in music know how to navigate through the waters and um got married and came back to philly and i just was like okay you know what i'm still gonna do consult marketing yeah and uh, i just celebrated it made a nice piece of change and enjoyed the money for a while <laughs> and um was like okay let's see what opportunities gonna come next and what comes next my guy jeffrey smith who was my head of marketing at n1 right mm-hmm. now is at nike Crater. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. I jumped on the wrong boat. Right. Totally. Calls me and it's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, I'm just consulting for a little bit of everybody. Want to come to Nike and uh, come out here and see what we could cook up? And he was out there, head of like digital, new web content and stuff. He created a, um, like a, like a, 
it wasn't an app. It was like a program for Nike. All the basketball courts on uh, like who Nike affiliated had marks on them that you could find them. So if you were like in a town and you wanted to look up where you go, should go play basketball, get a good run, you Nike will let you know where to go play. If you want good one on one, if you want to go good like full court, half court. So he brought me over. He's like, "Yo, we need music. We need." And so he brought me in, and I started consulting. And then he was like. LeBron's over here. This he was like, yo, I should introduce you to the guy that's doing now his name was Brian Fairburn. He was heading up the LeBron campaign. I met him and he was like, Yo, I like what you're doing. We should you know, the puppet campaign was going on. Um, shout out to my guy Will Green. He was one of the head designers for LeBron. He created the Lion, the whole King thing. Mm. Um, and he was like, Yo, yo, rock with us on LeBron too. So I started working between LeBron campaign. I think those were the four, fives, and six when I worked at Nike around wow. that time, and working with Jeffrey Smith and Digital and Nike. Had your musical um, taste changed over the years, or do you still consider yourself like a raucous, yeah, a raucous yeah. head, or like? It's funny, man, because it, I, I'm always it's just you know everything in life is like a pair of something, like left hand, right hand. So it was, it was to that left side. It was the raucous, the dead prez, you know. But then the right side was the mob deeps, the the street. It was like street hip hop, and then just real cultural, knowledgeable, mm-hmm. good hip hop. Yeah. So even to that, you know, I love Jay Dilla, but I I love Forty, you know, like mm-hmm. at the same time. So it was, I was split always, and and then I think I got. Like little jaded too because doing music once you go into a business room you're always looking for music that fits right whatever the task, task is at hand yeah, so right. and one I was like I was like you know a DJ for Last Emperor at one point and I was like yo how can I get Last Emperor on the tape but at the same time get Outcast on the tape so right. it was like I always wanted to be that person that could bring both genres on and that's what was so great about the animal mixtape it was like you could get sway. And Styles P, but I put Wanye on the drop right, right yeah. between them. People are like, yeah. yo, what is? <laughs> but okay, Wanye likes basketball, so I always been split between music. Mm-hmm. So you're at Nike working that LeBron campaign. Yeah. That those four, five, sixes. Um, do they seed you with all those four, five, sixes? Yeah, I got seeded. <laughs> heat. Oh, I had the taxis. I had the Christ the King. I still got the Christ the Kings. I got the Yankee. LeBron with the blue and felt stripes. I got, I got the Saturday Night Live Air Force One LeBrons. Yo, wait. Okay, are you, are you your your shoes look clean right now? Uh, are you like Clark Kent where you're like I'm gonna wear my shoes, or are you like you know Mayor and all those guys who are like, let me just keep okay. those. Or down. are you like Dame Dash and you get a pair of shoes, wear it once and throw it out? Right. Okay, I'm, I'm totally not the Dame. Okay. I'm going to give it to somebody at Salvation Army. I'm going to do that. Nothing wrong with what Dame do. Mm-hmm. They was on top. I probably would have did the same too. Mm-hmm. Um, Clark, shout out to Yoda. Mm-hmm. That's the big bro. Um, I'm, I can't say I'm like Clark. I, I'll, wear, I'll wear a lot, but certain things I just won't wear. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of the things that I receive, and I'm a sample size, size nine. So some of the things you're, luck, you're a lucky guy. I'm blessed, yeah. blessed, <laughs> blessed, super yeah. blessed. You know, some of the things I just won't touch, like the all the Lebrons that I got when I worked there. I'm not touching. Sit on a shelf. Yeah, they're in clear boxes. Yeah, in yeah. a shelf. Yeah, I can't do it. Flip them on eBay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't even want to flip them. Like it's just some of them just beautiful. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm like so certain pairs I'm just keeping. After Nike, 
Where are you going? So then, it's so funny. The N one crew, like we were, we're like the Big Bang Theory. So when Bazinga, <laughs> boom. So when we when the company dispersed, we're everywhere. Yeah. Like still to this day, some of us at Under Armour. We're in every company, and basically in still the, relevant still, in different places. in different places. Yeah. So um, I get a call from a guy at Undercrown who started Undercrown in Philly. In Philly, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was Pete Smalls, the guy that got me in N one, Dustin Cannellan has started a brand called Undercrown. And they called me and it was like, yo, we need you to do what you did for N one with us. And I was like, all right, let me check it out. And they had same blueprint. It was T-shirts, but it was character drawn T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, yo, this is kind of hot. And they had sneakers. And I was like, yo, this is kind of dope. So then they grabbed another guy named Jeff Shea, which was the CFO of N one. And we got a five-man team of all of us that was from N1. Mm-hmm. We put a five-man team together, and that was the next my next um, venture. Yo, underground clothes were so hard. Yeah. Like, Yo. I love that shit. And what? also, I think, you know, someone could easily say, okay, five people mm-hmm. versus, like, 200 people. But the mm-hmm. times were so different it's where, like, different. technology has changed things yep. where marketing – can easily be done by easy high beast was just coming around high stenobity yeah complex made the left turn you know like the blogs were starting web so what we had to do back in the day was totally different now from how we got the brand out there right you're not hand-to-hand anymore yeah, when it well, was sending you, an email blast who are you seeding your clothes to now so when i joined when i got on board the first person i i did a campaign in starting five with djs it was rich medina king Britt. Um, Neil Armstrong, Prince Paul, and Green Lantern. Mm, mm. That was my, f- the campaign was called Starting Five, and I was like, I want five different DJs. If I had to put them on a basketball court, how would they all match up and how would be different? So we flew everybody to Philly. Mm-hmm. We did a photo shoot. Everybody was, we had Serato set up, and everybody was like trading secrets, and it was like one of my favorite campaigns like I've ever done to still to this day. It's just, just real quick, it, does that make Green like the point guard? Yeah, who's the center? Nah, <laughs> Rich Medina center. Okay. okay. We, can go, we can go through the five. Rich yeah. like Rich dunked on Rick Fox in real life. Like <laughs> real really? life. In real life. Oh. Like shouts out to Rich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> real life. He got the picture. I've been trying to get it forever <laughs> out of his house. Um, it's documented. Yeah, it's documented. Was we, Rick Fox like sitting? No, nah, it, it was. I think <laughs> it was like, yeah. he was in the air. Like we'll call him after this, and but <laughs> yeah. we all see the click yeah. is incredible. Yeah, but Rich is probably like six three, six four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have put Neil Armstrong. I'd put him in guard. Mm-hmm. Prince Paul's genius, so we put him at the point. Right. To feed the ball. So you got Green. If um, Green. Um, Rich in the middle, and who was um King? Dang, that's a tough one. Paul, Paul's like LeBron though. Okay, he could okay. be a guard and a forward. Right. Mm-hmm. So I put ne- uh, Neil at the other guard right. and Britt at forward. By the way, I bet they could beat the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> not the ninety nine Knicks. No, 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 not the ninety nine Knicks. <laughs> not the ninety nine Knicks. So um, so yeah, so um, that was the first campaign. And after that, everybody was like seen on board. It. We got it on all the blogs. Slam X hype, remember them? Yep, sure. Um, Slam X hype, high snub, and tell us about where Compound came from and what the idea was behind that. Compound really started from the Deadly Snakes, but it wasn't called Compound. So in the studio, it was a studio on the row home in Southwest Philadelphia, 
and it was three rooms. One room was the studio. We had a vocal booth. The other room was just where my DJ setup was and um, like a little little writing area, my bed and everything. But then the hallway, huge Star Wars fan. I've been collecting Star Wars since the beginning. Yeah. All my Star Wars toys was in the hallway. So it was always toys, studio, and video games. And when I was in Philly, I, I couldn't always had a hard time of getting artists to come by the studio when they got to Philly. Because they hate Star Wars. <laughs> no, because yeah, my name was terrible. So. <laughs> but I just used to always be like, yo, Daylight, y'all in town, come by. No, we got a show. Oh, Gravediggers, y'all in town, come by. No, we can't. We got, nobody wanted to come to Philly. So I did it, redid it, I tried it again, and I did it in Philly, and I was like, yo, it's called Compound. And, uh, when I did it this time, after the N1 mixtape and after everything I did in the industry, little people st- started coming. Stiley came through, Jake One came through, Cannon, um, who else? Prince Paul, Free, all the Philly guys, Freeway, and I was like, "Yo, I got some." So it was compound. I was in a row home, and I was like, "You know what? It's not gonna work unless I go back home." And then I uh, came back home to the Bronx, and yeah. I was like, "It's time to your really- first home, first home." Yeah. That I don't remember, but home. Yeah, right, yeah. But I was like, you know what? It's time to do the compound in the Bronx. So what sets the compound apart from anywhere else? It's the Andy Warhol's Fun Factory for Hip Hop. Wow. And and a little bit more added on to it. But, you know, Andy Warhol, you know, like when you think about it, people who don't know the story, you got Andy was in there, Basquiat was in there. What they was doing there, besides paint, we don't know, but it was a lot going on in there. Well, yeah. so, I mean, what's the goal for you now? Because we see, like, you have Freeway and Guru coming through, and you mm-hmm. have Jadakiss coming through. Like, mm-hmm. what? what is the goal now? Well, yeah, who makes up the collective? The compound is, 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 is to me, is now it's, it's evolved to toys. It's evolved to the space alone, just the space, which is a recording space, which is a, a marketing war room to, to come and flush your ideas out. There is... The music side, which we have artists that we're trying to break break into the industry. It's just a creative sparring gym for any any genre, mm. and it's a you know it's a it's a format from Bape uh, from the early days. Um, being blessed to go to Asia and see the Bape coffee shop, see the Bape retail, see the Bape uh, barber shop. I'm like, wow, this is there's no brand to me in America that did that format. The same way or across many genres, like you know, closest might be is BBC, but we don't have the BBC restaurant. We don't have the BBC, but the clothing part they took and Pharrell did a great, incredible job. But a compound is a little bit of that format mixed with what I bring to the table. After all these years, you know, finding your way, creating opportunities for yourself, mm-hmm. like just doing what you naturally feel, are you? inspired right now are you comfortable right now where are you just sort of i'm in i'm totally inspired what's going on i mean you know like we said in the beginning to be able to create a toy to have chris brown jim jones asap ferg pusha jada to post this would not even me asking them to post it it's you know i'm so inspired to to keep going in uh the world of art and art is everything it's music it's 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 cartoons it's food so you know i'm really being able to understand how to take art to genres races religions cultures just 
expanded all across the board. Well, congratulations on you know on seeing the vision in that in that you know that TV that was you know far from flat screen, right? Uh, totally, in, totally. In a, in a day and age when you know it was it was a pro scan. <laughs> But but you know what you saw something that no one else saw. So yeah. congratulations on that. Thank and you. Spreading it far and wide and creating something out of nothing. No, and, thank you, know, you. Honestly, like Compound is a dope name. So I feel like the growth is already there. That's like, right. You know, after so many terrible names, Compound. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That was the comeback. Thank yeah. you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> congratulations. Thank y'all. Thank you both, man. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's the Real. If people want to find out more about us, we're It's the Real. If people want to find out more of this podcast of ours that you're listening to right now, it's called A Waste of Time with It's the Real. And if people want to find out more about our upcoming concert in Los Angeles, California on November 2nd at the Bootleg Theater over there on Beverly Boulevard, Jeff, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com to buy all of your tickets for all of our live events. You can also go to iTunes, search for A Waste of Time with The Real. You can also listen on our... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's, let's stop the music if we could. In deference to your voice, let's go with the elevator music instead. You can also listen to all of our old episodes on SoundCloud.com slash A Waste of Time. We are also on SoundCloud.com slash It's The Real for all of our music. And you can also find that on Spotify, Pandora, any streaming service, including Google Play, especially Google Play. We are also on... Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real, and Snapchat, neither one of us really uses it, but you can follow us there at It's It's The Real because It's The Real was taken. Guys, you know this podcast doesn't go anywhere unless you spread the word, and we know it starts with us, so we like to shout someone out each week, and Jeff, you might not be able to shout someone out, but who would you like to conjure? What? Oh, I didn't like, know if that was somebody. <laughs> no, no, Conjure is also uh, Ludacris's yeah, Ludacris drink, right? Yeah. I want to shout out Ludacris. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Ludacris. Luda, spread the word about your boys. It's the real. And our podcast, A Waste of Time with It's the Real. Go find it everywhere. I, Jeff, would like to shout out a whole bunch of people, starting with our good friend, the bald god, Alex Chichamaro. I want to shout out Justin Fleischer, the Fleisch who did an amazing interview with our guy, Boyder, Yo Boyder, who you guys might remember from the Asher Roth days. He has a podcast. Go listen to that. I want to shout out Leah Palmieri. I want to shout out Matt Fastow. And I want to shout out, rest in peace, the Evergreen Diner. Uh, did you know that Leah's brother got married this weekend? I did not know that. Congratulations to them. Yeah, so shout out to Chris Palmieri. Wow. Big weekend for the Palmieri family. And for all of us. Not only getting club. married, but yeah. also getting a shout out on this podcast. November 2nd, it's the real Los Angeles. Everybody from the West Coast must be there, including Macklemore. We will see, yeah, Seattle, Portland, all the way down to Mexico. Shout out to British Columbia. Shout out to the Aleutian Islands up in Alaska. Guys, bootleg theater, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Brat. Well, that was sad. (laughs) Brat.